Hello and welcome to episode number 321 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books. With me today is Lindsay Emery. We are going to talk about royalty, both the royalty in her new book, The Royal Runaway, and about the way many, many people are interested in contemporary royalty around the world. We talk about why so many people are curious about royal families and how it's a slightly different kind of celebrity culture to follow. We also talk a little bit about celebrity counters that we've had. Now, you can probably hear that Orville is trying to stick his head in the sound box. Buddy, I am recording. So Orville would like you to know that he is royalty. and He does not appreciate the fact that the sound box is on the desk where he wants to sit. I also talked to Lindsay about her new book, the creation of a country in which to place her royal family, and the research she did into the world of royalty. Plus, we try to compose romance plots about the... English royal timekeeper, you know, for fun. The podcast and the podcast transcript this week are brought to you by Ensnared by J.S. Scott, available now for Montlake Romance. Love is worth a fortune in this sizzling novel of accidental romance and riches by New York Times bestselling author J.S. Scott. Wildlife conservationist Jade Sinclair is not used to having money. But when she and her siblings learned they were part of the mega-rich Sinclair dynasty, they became billionaires overnight. Jade doesn't even know how to act rich, especially when she's dealing with an arrogant, privileged, unreasonably sexy snob like Eli Stone. Unlike Jade, Eli grew up rich, and he just keeps getting richer. Eli is always looking for an adventure, and he's found an inviting one in Jade, as resistant as she is irresistible. His less-than-honorable plan? Get her alone in the wilderness by buying out all of the spots in her survival class. Calling a truce, they strike a bargain. Jade will teach Eli basic survival skills. He will teach her how to navigate the world of the wealthy elite. Jade has only one condition. She will not let herself be seduced by Eli but some things are easier said than done. Readers who love sexy billionaires, and who doesn't love a sexy billionaire, and fiercely independent women will love Ensnared, the first in J.S. Scott's steamy new Accidental Billionaire series. It's available now for Montlake Romance. Podcast that you are currently listening to has a Patreon. And if you have supported the show with a monthly pledge of any amount, thank you very, very much. The Patreon community helps me keep the show going, helps me make sure that every episode is transcribed and that the show is accessible to everyone, which is very important to me and to many readers and listeners as well. If you would like to join the Patreon community, it would be so much fun to have you. Have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches. Monthly pledges start at $1 a month, and you'll be part of a group who helps me develop questions for upcoming interviews and suggest guests, and maybe gets outtakes, like when Orville tries to crawl into the sound box while I am trying to record. At this point, he's kicking the microphone farther and farther away from me, and I have to keep restarting. So if you would like to join the Patreon, it would be fantastic to have you. Don't let Orville push you away. I also want to thank some of the Patreon folks personally. So to The Writing Lush, Danielle, Elizabeth, Melinda, and Lacey, thank you so much for being part of the podcast community. Are there other ways to support the show? Absolutely. Leave a review wherever you listen. That makes such a difference in helping other people discover the show. You can tell a friend about podcasts that you like. You can subscribe. You can yell out the window, whatever works. But if I am in your eardrums right now while you do nifty things, thank you. You have a lot of podcasts to choose from, and I am honored that you are hanging out with me each week. 
The music you are listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater. I will have information at the end of the show as to who this is and where you can buy it. I will also have a preview of what's coming up on Smart Bitches next week, and we have a cool giveaway I want to tell you about. And I have a truly dreadful joke. In fact, Orville would like to rub his face on the foam. This is not for eating, buddy. Good heavens. Quit head... This is going to be an excellent podcast. Orville's going to have his own line in the transcript that's like Orville, colon, headbutt. Anyway, I have a really cool giveaway and a really terrible joke. It is so bad that um, I could hear my husband groaning when I texted it to him, and he's many miles away. I mean, not really, but it's really that bad. Orville, quit trying to rub your face in the sound box. I left the sound box on the futon in my office face up and left the room and came back, and he was in it. This was a very big mistake because he's now deeply in love with the sound box. So I apologize for all the weird noises that come along with my cat helping me record. I will have links to all of the things that we talk about and all of the books that we mention, and we mentioned several. So if you are looking for them, they will be in the show notes at smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast. But now, oh, Orville has decided he's had enough of helping me. So now it's time for us to do this podcast. On with the interview. I'm Lindsay Emery. I'm an author of uh, Mysterious and Romantic Fiction, and um, I also have a podcast that's not nearly as as professional as Ms. Wendell's here, but... Um... <laughs> yeah, professional. That's that's not a word I would ever use to describe myself as a podcaster, but thank you. You have, like, music. That's how I, that's the level. Like, that, that's the level I aspire to. I can't even deal with music. <laughs> I can... It's so easy. I can teach you how to do that. Okay. That's the easiest part. So you sent me an email about your new book, The Royal Runaway. Congratulations, by the way, on your new book. Thank you very much. And... You contacted me about talking about royalty, which is fascinating because this past weekend, my, and then again today, as we're recording this, all of my social media is like royal bananas. Right. It's almost like I'm manifesting it, which yeah. um, I- Very smart. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. I just kind of, you know, sacrifice some, no, I didn't do that. That would be awful. <laughs> Um, <laughs> no, I, it's been very good luck for me, I guess, um, just to stay, you know, kind of part of the conversation and, and talk about the, the ma- you know, the made up royals that I created, um, which have nothing to do with real life royals at all. Um, but yeah, it's been fun to watch and fun to see people's enthusiasm for pretty dresses again and carriages and babies. And funky hats. Funky hats. Yeah, funky hats. It's just pure joy, right? I mean, that you're seeing. There's not a lot of it's 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 a it's a distraction from day to day life. Yeah. Yeah, just a bit. One of the things you mentioned was that why it seems like more progressive women are unabashedly obsessed with royals. What why do you think that is? I have many, many thoughts, but I don't think any of them are right. Well, I don't know if all mine are right either. I would love to hear yours. I mean, this is a discussion I've been kind of having with some friends and things because I think that um, that's kind of new, right? I mean, about 10, 20 years ago, I think that a progressive, quote unquote, modern woman would be poo-pooing princesses and fairy tale romantic weddings. And I don't know if it's the, the environment we find ourselves in. I kind of alluded to it that we just 
really are looking for something happy and positive and that looks kind of maybe more pro-woman than <laughs> than what we see in our day-to-day lives. Um, I think that might have be a lot to do with it. Um, I think Meghan Markle being American, being an older bride um, with experience and a career and um, being biracial and divorced. I mean, they the British royal family not have the greatest history with American divorced women marrying into the royal family. She's kind of undoing a whole lot of really terrible history just by showing up. Right. And I think that like will satisfy a lot of our like, yes, we're, progress is made. We see progress being made. We see a feminist, you know, taking over. We see an American biracial feminist, you know, over Was there. not abashed about calling herself a feminist. I love when people do that. It just makes me so happy. It is. It is. It is so inspiring. And I think it just gives us that little spark of hope that, you know, will brighten our day. So if we're going to all now be on, you know, Meghan Markle baby watch, it's purely Poor for political woman. reasons. <laughs> One of the things that I find so fascinating myself about Meghan and Harry specifically is the way in which they both approach their role as royals as a job. Like he calls it a role and she's an actress. So I'm sure she is sort of like, yes, this is kind of like a public role that I'm going to play as myself all the time. That they they see it as a job that they do. And so there's this sort of representation and separation of self that like, this is my job. I go and I do things by being here. I bring attention to this thing because people take pictures of me in whatever I am wearing. And then they, they try very hard to have this private life mm. that is, you know, private and genuine. One of the things I think that makes particularly Harry and Meghan so interesting and so appealing is that they're, they're honest about the fact that their, their job is a performance, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And I know I often, at times, though I am not a royal, I often also have those moments where I'm like, I have a job to do as a person, as a mom, as a spouse, as a business owner. I get that part. You know what I mean? Right. Oh, totally. And I think when there is some criticism of Megan that, you know, you see floated out there every once in a while, oh, she's an actress. Yeah. You know, oh, she's an actress. Well, <laughs> that's a really old prejudice. Y'all gotta let that go. Yeah. Oh, she just. Oh, <laughs> she knew how to play to the cameras. And well, okay. What? Yes, she does. Oh, yes, she knows how to tilt her head and wear pretty makeup. I mean, that's is that so wrong? Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. You right. You guys don't want to see an authentic, awkward human woman. <laughs> think that that is them being professional. Yes, they are going to go out there and they're going to be measured and they're going to be practiced, but that is the best way for them to shine their light on the causes and, you know, promotions that they feel passionate about. And that's what I really am inspired by too is that you really see in in Prince Harry's um advocacy of military and, you know, the Invictus games, he likes sport, but those are all things that mean a lot to him. And already with Meghan Markle's sponsorship of the Together Cookbook that benefits uh, the community around Grenfell Tower, um, you just see that these are things that are going to mean a lot to them. And how lucky, I mean, isn't that what we all want? We all would love to have a job where we could affect change in the areas that we care about. It's so inspiring. I do carry a little bit of shame, but I am fascinated by the fact that they are in a job they cannot escape from. Mm-hmm. And there's there's not a lot of people that reach that level of nonstop, un, in, unending public attention and fame where you don't have any ability to just go outside and take a walk. 
Yeah. Um, and it is kind of interesting. You know, I said that about baby watch and you, or bump watch and you're like, poor thing. And it's so true. I mean, how many of us would have wanted our pregnant bodies to be scrutinized <laughs> and analyzed for nine long, horrific months? Oh um, man, no, no, God, no. <laughs> um, but I, and then how soon will she bounce back? We're not made of elastic. Oh, Stop it. Yeah. Oh, look, she's got a bump tummy still. I mean, I but God, okay, yeah. Uh, that's a whole nother discussion about it's yeah. weird. It's this mix of sexism and empowerment and sexism and empowerment, and they're constantly battling each other. Yeah. In the way that they're talked about. Yeah, and they just can't escape it. And I do think that that is a real discussion that, you know, all of us in celebrity culture land need to talk about is when do we give them a break? When do we like let them go off to their cottage and I don't know, Nottingham Forest or wherever? Um to to just be and raise a family. That's why again, I I I follow the criticism too. You know, there's criticism of Kate and William not doing a lot, or you know, oh, she just wants to be a mom. And again, I'm think, kind of thinking like she's got three babies at home. You don't get a lot of choice. It, it mm-hmm. the, the more you engage in public life and um, are a celebrity by being yourself and showing up, like you yourself are the celebrity. You also have to endure a great deal of criticism and opinion about everything you do. I cannot imagine how exhausting that is. Right. So let me ask you this. So this happened recently. I was in Houston at a conference, and um, it was a romance author conference, actually. And there was some fa- there were some famous people staying in the hotel, and people were getting their pictures taken with that famous person, and which is fine. But I chose not to because one, I'm total introvert, awkward, (laughs) you know? Yes, I understand. But there's also like, I'm like, well, he's over there having a beer. Like, why, why does he have to stop? So how do you feel about like, would you ever interrupt a celebrity who was just drinking a beer in a hotel bar and get a selfie with them? Or does it matter who the celebrity is? (laughs) You know, I wouldn't do the selfie thing because I, I don't like taking selfies and that that is that is for me not a thing I would do. I have walked up to celebrities randomly and just said, "Hey, I really admire what you do. Thank you for doing what you do. It's awesome. Have a good." Like I did that to Usher in a department store once, <laughs> and this was this was a really long ass time ago. But I was like, "I just I really admire what you do. What you do makes a lot of people happy, happy, and you get me through my workouts. So thank you for doing what you do. Have a good day." Like I did like a fifteen second. Okay, now run, Sarah, run, <laughs> run away, run away as fast as you can, and don't fall down or walk into the door because that would be terrible. But like I, I have that same reticence of, oh, I don't, I don't want to bother someone if they're just, you know, having a beer. I have been at conferences where there's a separate speaker space where the speakers and presenters have like a private area where they can go and not be sort of on. But at the same time, um, if I am speaking at a conference, I presume that any moment I'm outside of my hotel room or I'm not in a space that is just speakers or administrators that I am you know, part of the, the conference. So I am expected to, I expect being approached or I expect people to, to, especially if I'm doing a lot of workshops and people want to approach me privately versus like in the, in the, in the Q and A after when everyone's trying to leave and get back in the room, I presume that I will be approached. So it could be that person who's having a beer in the bar, who is a big guest of a conference is, is probably also to a certain percentage expecting that they're going to get approached. Mm. So it's all in how you handle it. But like you, I have that, that deep introvert reticence of, Oh, I, 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 yeah, I can't. Well, to be clear, I cannot selfie. (laughs) I have no problem posing for selfies. That's so fun, but um, I cannot ask for them. Also, I take a selfie 
I don't know how I do this, but there is a special filter that is only on my phone and my nose increases by about 7,000%. So it's just not good. So people should use <laughs> on their my own phone. phones when they're taking Mm-hmm. Well, to be clear, exactly. to, to be clear, this was not a guest of the conference. This was Senator John Kerry, and he was not there for the. He's just chilling in the bar, not as part of the, the Roman, conference. Yeah, so apparently he did talk to some of the other people, and he saw the badges. He's like, "What this? What what are y'all here for?" And they said, "Romance authors." <laughs> at this point, if you're John Kerry, at this point, you kind of have to be used to it. Right? I guess so. But then I was, I, I, I was pretty sure they were like bodyguards and stuff around, and maybe that made me also. Oh like, no. man. These guys just need to have a beer and relax. I mean, but that's just me. But I don't, you know, other people. Yeah. I, but then I kind of have that FOMO too. Like, oh, I could have had a really cool picture with John Kerry. So, but that's a that's the thing with the princesses. I mean, if I ever see Meghan or Kate, I know I don't know what I'll do. I should I should come up with a plan. <laughs> yeah, probably a like, good go idea. Go through it in my head just in case. Backup plan. It's one of the things I find very interesting in examining my own behavior is that typically I don't care very much about celebrity culture. I, I just, it's not something that's interesting to me. If it's something that someone else is interesting, is interested in, all cool, no judgment. This is not a thing that I'm into. But for some reason, the royal families of different parts of the world are, is, is fascinating to me because it's like, you know, you get, you, you're born and here's your job. That's your job. Not going to have a whole lot of other jobs because, well, that would be a problem security-wise. So here's your job. Yeah. Like, and I think this is one of my theories, my my weird theories. I think that that very narrow proscribed path is something that resonates with a lot of people who feel like because of their gender or their sexuality or their uh, culture or the things that they are also born into, that they also do not have options. But that is like next level wealth options. The wealth part adds the fantasy. Mm -hmm. That's my theory. Yeah, that's interesting. It was something that came up. I did another interview about my book and that kind of came up too. They were like, well, why would people like this book if it's about a princess? And I said, well... Wait, what? Uh, Somebody asked yeah. that? <laughs> I promise that is not on my list. Of, why would someone read your like, book? What would, what would they get out? Wow. Yeah, it was fine. Um, it was a guy, but you know. Um, That's the kind of question where you just give whatever answer you want because there's no way to answer that question, <laughs> right? I do think that a lot of women can relate to that feeling. It's exactly right. I mean, that there you had this life planned out for you and mm-hmm. you might have thought it was okay. And then something happens where you have to take another look at it and decide, is this what I really want? What's going to happen if I don't continue down this life? You know, am I going to give up my family? And that to me is, you know, kind of a great start for any kind of fiction. You know, these choices that you make, you might have to lose everything that you've ever um, been given or earned. Right. Um, So you know, what are you going to do next? And it's nice when you're a princess and you have, you know, some, some cash in the, in the Royal vault. Options. Yeah. Staff, but that yeah. still could be limiting in so many ways. Like what we just talked about, mm-hmm. your fame, your choices. I mean, until recently, I would say until the last 15, 20 years, these, these people couldn't really marry who they wanted to marry. And would you, that's an interesting, that's like a dinner party conversation right there. Would you give up, you know, marrying the love of your life for being a ruler of a country? 
end. So what did you think of the royal wedding over the weekend? Did you watch any of you it? You know, I watched it afterwards. I could not do the get up early. <laughs> I cannot either. During the uh, the wedding, Harry and Meghan's wedding, I was in Denver. And I think you I would have had to get up at like very small number hour of the morning. And I was like, yeah, no, yeah you don't do even it. go to I'll sleep then. Just pictures. stay up. I'll just watch, look at pictures if I want to see them. But I thought they looked lovely, um, really gorgeous, classy, elegant, uh, warm. I am a big fan of Sarah, Duchess of York still. I have been told that that is hopelessly out of fashion and that shows my age, but I don't care uh, <laughs> because <laughs> I just think she is a hot mess and kind of owns it now. And I love that about a woman who's just kind of, you know, okay, I'm here. And I'm fascinated with her relationship with Andrew. They live together, but they're divorced. Yes. And they have, they, they co-parented happily. I mean, you can see it um, in their public interactions and, and that they live together still. And so that has just been really interesting. That's a book that needs to be written right there, that they basically were like the, um, oh, what's the Gwyneth Paltrow conscious uncoupling? Like she yeah. and Andrew were like the conscious uncoupling before Gwyneth and um, Coldplay guy. Yeah. And they made it, they made their relationship function for them, which is really the only people they're responsible to them and their right. kids. And, you know, what if there was a secret romance this whole time? I mean, that would be, ugh. sorry, I'm getting my, my romance author brain on there. <laughs> <laughs> so with your book, the Royal yes. Runaway, you have yeah. a heroine who is a European royal of an entirely made up country. Yes. Did you put it in a location in your brain? Like, is it like right next to uh, the Netherlands or Belgium? Like, where is it in your brain? Where is, is it Dryden or Drayden? Dreden. Dreden. Well, I was wrong entirely. I know. It's My fine. Bad. Depends on if you say it with the accent or not. Um, the made up accent. <laughs> um, I have it on the North Sea. Right. Um, it is in a, just a little pie shaped area up there. That works. <laughs> I, I'm not too, I'm not too, uh, uptight about where exactly it is it's it's in there I, I i thought of it definitely as a cousin to the netherlands swedish denmark aristocracies um where it was a smaller country where the people can you know kind of chill out a little bit more um you know go on dates and stuff without there being too much hubbub about so the setup of the book she is about to get married her husband or her husband-to-be deserts her on her wedding day. She has no idea where she's been, where he's been, excuse me, where he's gone. She is basically stood up in front of her whole country and the rest of the world, whoever was tuning into the royal wedding. Yes. She goes um, on hiatus personally for a couple of months and comes back and ends up meeting this hot Scottish spy and finds (laughs) out that that's her her, uh, missing fiancé's brother. Yes, eventually, after... He leads her on a merry chase a little bit. <laughs> so you you made up a country, then you broke up her wedding, <laughs> and then you set her up with his brother. Okay, yeah, you're just mean. That's <laughs> oh yeah, that's God. a lot. Yeah, and but, I didn't know. I don't remember when it when I decided it was going to be the brother. I think he needed. Yeah, um, and I was like, oh, now it's tricky. <laughs> yeah, he needs a reason to be all up in her business. Yeah. And, um, you know, I had to double down on the, the issues going on. Um, yeah, that, 
that came up a couple of times in editing. I think people were wanting me to make someone meaner or nicer. And I'm like, but it's, there's a lot going on here. People yeah. can't be black and white. So what led you into this story? Well, um, I, I've been pretty open. It's, it was a dream. Honestly, I woke up one morning and I had a dream and I went and wrote it down as fast as I could. Um, I dreamt that there was a princess and she was, she'd been stood up on her Royal wedding day and now she was back in the capital and just kind of aimless, wandering. She was going out of the castle at night. She was meeting people and that there were, you know, things going on with her family that she couldn't talk to people about. So I, I wrote that down and just started scribbling scribbling scenes as they came to me. It was very um, cathartic and also very scary because it was the first time I'd kind of just said, okay, let's see where this goes. And um was somehow able to put it all together with the help of some very nice editors at Gallery Books. <laughs> very cool. So what went into creating the country? What elements did you make sure that you had uh, when you're creating not only a small country in Europe with a with a monarchy and a royal family, but how it relates to other countries? Well, I did put in, um, you know, the geography and mm-hmm. that they kind of all, I intimated a few times that they would kind of all have to know each other, you know, that at that circle on those cir- high circles, they would know this person or that person, right. that aristocracy light group that they go on ski trips and things together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I, I also mentioned that, um, you know, Queen Victoria's grandchildren basically were married off throughout throughout Europe. So there's going to be all these connections there. Right. They're all cousins and, of some sort. Right. Did you watch that uh, documentary on Queen Elizabeth's 90th birthday that they did? No, I did not. Is it oh. good? It is really good. And it shows all these like home videos and um, things I'd never seen before. But one of the people that they interview, I think is the queen of Denmark, who is like, they're like Queen of Denmark, Queen Elizabeth's second cousin. And I'm like, oh, of course she is. <laughs> of course she is, right? Yeah, because they're all related. Yeah, and they they obviously know each other quite well, and they've been to Christmas dinners together. I don't know, you know, it was just very. Um, it's a whole nother world, but then it makes sense because we all have our circles, right? We all have right. people that we might be connected to, so that makes sense that they all have other royal friends. Yep. With your with your story, the heroine is a really big history nerd. Like yes. She is really into the history of her country, not only because it's going to eventually be her job to, to be the monarch, but she's really a history nerd. Like she is super into obscure monarchs. And the thing that was interesting was that each of the stories that she was focusing on or, you know, choosing to lecture someone on so they would leave her alone was about a person who was stuck in a role in their monarchy and used it to their advantage. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> oh, is that news? Sorry. No, no, no. I mean, I, I, I didn't really necessarily put all that together. I know some of them were particularly correct. Um, but yeah, that's totally it. I, that theme of the, the princess in a tower, um, right. sounds so and, romantic, but you know, most princesses would probably, or most women would probably be extremely pissed about being put in a tower. So, you know, how would you feel if you were put here or put there or sent away? And um, yeah, that's just a a theme that 
kept coming up in the book and probably for good reason. Yep. Because being stuck and getting unstuck. Yeah. With the and, tools that you have. And this whole thing about the, the history of royal women has really been pissing me off lately. Okay. Can I just talk to you about a book that y'all reviewed on your site? I don't know if this is the book portion that I want to talk about yet. Yeah, sure. Um, well, you want to talk tree. about a book on a podcast about books? I know, oh I know. no, the Phantom Tree by Nick. Oh my gosh! Okay. I know. Did you did you have like trouble putting it down? I wanted more. I wanted so much, and it's one that I could not stop thinking about. But because I read an advanced copy, I didn't have anyone to talk about it with. This was my problem. This was why I, I was like, at least did you read it yet? Did you read it yet? Because I really want to talk to you about it. Did you read it? You should read it now. Read it. Did you read it? Okay. So and, tell me, tell me, tell me all your thoughts. Yes. Okay. So that is what I kept thinking about. Like I first read it. I really loved it. It has all the things that I want to smush together. I want a his- history. I want a little bit of supernatural. I want a little bit of romance. I want a mystery. It's it's like all the things smushed together. I really liked it. Um, but then I just, after I was done, I kept thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it and being so pissed off because they just sent these little girls away. And these, okay, maybe we should tell people. These are based on real life women. When Mary Seymour was a real person. Her, his, his, her history is largely unknown, but she was tangentially royal but didn't have any uh, yeah but she didn't have any adults to advocate for her and her whether or not she had a fortune of her own remained sort of up in the air um so anyone who took her in was hoping that she would bring in a a wealthy marriage or that someone would come and marry her and bring them you know fame and wealth and status but that didn't really happen in the story her she's paired with a person who was invented but she's in the same place allison parr right no it was uh, allison Oh goodness, I can't remember her name, but it was it had an R E ending, but it's not par. It's it's a Bannister. 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 That's right. That's yeah, right. yeah. So, so again, what was what was it about them that got to you? Just that they, the, how women were seen as as pawns, as as well. We're gonna yep. we don't need you right now, little girl. We're going to send you away to some cousin's house, and and people kept exactly what you said. People kept them just in case they could get money out of them later, or they would marry them off to someone who could get money out of them, and. Just the more, and and it's probably, God help me, it's probably because of the other things going on in life right now, but just the thought that they could just be passed around like that. And Mm -hmm. I mean, it just really, it it brought up all the themes from my book. Yeah. And like, just now I want a sequel where they like go back in time with swords and cut (laughs) everything down. (laughs) Burn it all down. One of the things that I really like about that book is that although um, one of the stories doesn't end happily, it's very bittersweet. The other story ends with someone who moves from the Tudor era into the present day. It's a time slip novel. So she moves from the Tudor era into the present day and she owns it. Like she just completely renovates her life and is very successful moving forward. What, 600 years? Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. No big deal. I really like it. I think there's even a couple of lines in it. She's like, well, I have to admit, I like modern day better than that time. And Yeah. I can't say as a blamey girlfriend. Right. Yeah. In a lot of ways. But I think I was kind of, I don't know if I've ever read a time slip book where people were like, oh, I want to go back to 1282. It was so much cooler then. Which that oh. is a fantasy. Yes. But in a lot of ways, it's not. <laughs> yes. Who wants that? 
I, I did an interview with the author, uh, Nicola Cornick, and, and I was, and I asked her, you know, do you ever want to go back in time? She's like, only for a visit and a very brief one. Yeah. And it's, it is astonishing to think of if, if I went back in time, the number of modern interventions that keep me going, I would be extremely dead if I lived 600 years ago. I would be extra double dead. Right. Like there's just no way. Yeah. Well, I talked to Alexa Martin on my podcast and she was saying the same thing. So yeah. She, oh, I, I adore her. She was saying like how she really loves time travel books, but you know, if she as a woman of color went back in time, that it would not be good. Yeah, she might not have the same re- reception that you know, Claire Fraser Randall does. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's still it's the fantasy. I get it. You know, that's what we're serving up here. But there's also like, okay, come on. I liked. I was refreshing that this character in this book came to the modern time. And yeah, I'm gonna stick around here. <laughs> So with your heroine and your hero in The Royal Runaway, what were some of the more difficult things for you to write in their story? What scenes were particularly challenging? Oh, my goodness. Well, I think that they just, I don't know. I really worked hard at giving them enough conflict, but not anything that I couldn't overcome. So, Mm -hmm. um, and she can be the princess you know is very princessy and trying to make sure that that wasn't too annoying and trying to make sure that he is not too overbearing and you know i fully admit i probably don't hit those notes all the time but Mm -hmm. um but real life couples don't either you know we all have our moments where we're completely unreasonable with each other um i've been married for a very long time and um we're still working out ways that we should be talking to each other um even though we're both of course you know fundamentally still in favor of the marriage (laughs) so you um, you grow and you change you don't say the same person right yeah yeah and so seeing this couple when they come from really different backgrounds and he's got even got more issues than we've talked about, um, really trying to work through that, um, was a challenge, but also because it wasn't like a traditional romance, I didn't have an extra hundred pages to really go down that path either. So that's, you know, also, uh, restriction, um, for developing mm-hmm. that. So maybe, maybe they'll get more developed in the future. Who knows? Is there going to be a sequel? We hope to write that. Um, <laughs> hope so. Hope so. Publishing club. You know. You're listening. You know. What research did you do about royalty? Like I know with the royal we, um, Heather Heather Cox and Jessica Morgan. Thank Jessica Morgan. Yeah. Thank you. Heather Morgan and Jessica yes. Cox or Jessica Cox and Heather, Heather Morgan. Morgan and Jessica Cox. Thank you. Wow. My brain is really on fire. Today. I'm, good job, I am brain. 98% sure about that. I'm certain you're right. Cause I am not good at that. I know that they did all kinds of behind the scenes research about protocol and what happens when, when you encounter a Royal and what are the, what are the steps and what is the security surrounding them? And what is it like inside their, their homes and the parts that the public doesn't see? What kind of research that you, that you did you do? that you found really entertaining and fun to do? Well, the good news is, is when you make up your own country, you can make up your own rules. So I decided several books ago that it was really awesome just to make up your own stuff and then no one could tell you you're wrong. But um, I just have always kind of followed royals. Um, I lived in um, 
Scotland as a kid. And there, we, there were a couple of times where, you know, we went to places where the Royals were. We went, actually went to church um, at Balmoral one time when the queen was in residence. So we were in the same building at the same Whoa. church as the queen. Whoa. Um, but so I think, but that was back in the late eighties. And I have to imagine security is different now. Um, but maybe not. I don't know. So, I mean, kind of drawing on some of those experiences where there would be security, you would know that they were there, um, yep. kind of added more to the the vibe I was going for in my country, which was also, I, I wanted it a little bit more low key. Uh, so mm-hmm. I pulled on a lot of that and um, just, you know, my fevered imagination always, always wins the day. So if you think about it in the, in the greater sort of broad view, what royalty did for many years was the only history that we have of a period of time, because they were the ones who were wealthy enough to have their history written down, mm-hmm. right? So you have history based on the lives of these people, like their lives constituted history a lot of the times because they were, you know, running the country and, and several other countries as well you have this sort of sense that what these people do is really, really important. But then you read about their feuds and you're like, this is so dumb. <laughs> this is so dumb. Like I read, I don't know which was, which was, oh, it's Charles and Andrew. Apparently they don't get along. And I had no idea. And I can't say that I expended a great amount of energy like caring, but I was like, oh, that's really interesting. If you don't like your brother and yet he's going to rule the country and control your purse strings and affect your children's lives, I can see why that would make you tense. But at the same time, this isn't actually important. Like this isn't actually vital to the rest of the world. However, it's still fascinating. And, um, you know, a couple hundred years ago, that was history. It was. I mean, I'm sure you read uh, Sexy History by Rachel Hawkins on Twitter. The sexy history threads. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Okay, so for those who don't know, author it's Rachel Hawkins, right? Really so right. she does these threads um, when she has time because it, they're lengthy. But she'll do something about um, usually royal history, um, and 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 she does it very funny. And she tells a story, and it's very engrossing. But yeah, back in the day. Charles and Andrew would have gone to war and killed each other's wives and like thrown some oh, yeah. moat and <laughs> Oh yeah, it would have gotten ugly if they had a feud that was like, you know, actually going to uh cause a state problem. At this point it's just a profit for gossip. Right. So it's it is like right now we can go, eh, it's not that big a deal, but this is what drives history. Mm-hmm. I don't know. These dudes though. It's all dudes. <laughs> It really is, right? I don't know. Would we women do that if we had been in charge of countries for millennia? I don't know. I honestly do not know either. Very, very strange. When you were saying that about we have all this history of the people, the, the kings that made history, I was thinking, but we don't know. How, we don't have the women's history. All they were there for was where they came from, what children they birthed, what alliance they brought and we really don't have anything else so again that was a good big thing for me to play with in my book was did they have other histories that weren't written about and how would we know about them yeah and how would that affect their great great grandchildren you also write mysteries i do are you writing more of them or have you killed all of the sororities sisters (laughs) are they all dead they they could come back to life any second the sorority (laughs) sisters zombies 
Um, Fabulous. Okay, wait, no. hold on, hold on. I would totally read that sorority sister no. <laughs> Right? The things that come out of my mouth are sometimes really good. Yeah, that would be interesting. <laughs> good job, brain. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, I know I love writing mysteries. I hope to do more of them in the future. Um, I might have a couple things in the in the works, but um, it's so refreshing just to kind of play with that side of people. And I really like writing characters that are a little gray, not so black and white. And so having a whole cast, a whole book full of people that may have done it is is just really delicious for me to play with. One of you killed someone. Let's figure it out. I know. I kind of go in and I'm like, they all did it. And then, <laughs> and then like, oh no, I couldn't have all done it. Actually, I had a I had a plot once where the editor was like, no, they didn't all come in. And like, I think I, it was kind of a murder on the Orient Express. I was like, did you Orient Express the end? I didn't quite. It was like one person knocked him over and then they left the room. And then the other person, I'm like, no, it was so complicated. Uh, It takes a real genius to be able to pull that one off. (laughs) So you mentioned in your email that you had Royal Romance recommendations. I do. Hit me. Okay. Well, we've we've already talked about some of them. I mean, the I was going to talk about the Phantom Tree just because I do feel that's not quite royal romance, but just but it's because so adjacent. It is really adjacent because it's like the, what happens when no one's around to give a shit about the children of uh, royals who are dead, right? The background players, and they do kind of keep talking about, well, there's King Henry and there's Queen Elizabeth, and maybe they'll pay attention to me one day. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't recommend that book enough. I, obviously, I just need to go away and talk about it for a week. Um, we already talked about the Royal We, which I think is a good entry point for anyone who kind of wants to dip a toe into royal romance because it is loosely based on the royal family that most of us probably know right. here in America. Right. And um, seriously, so angsty book too. Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, it's a what. Would you call it new adult? The royal we? Yeah. Uh, contemporary. I don't know if I'd call okay. it new adult. Okay. It's definitely oh, contemporary and it's definitely uh, angsty. I generally think, though, that royalty romances are kind of their own subgenre of contemporary, if they're contemporary satin, if they're historical, that's obviously different. Right. So, where would, so I was also going to recommend Alyssa Cole's series. Oh, uh, yeah. Trilogy. It's been a, three books now. I don't, haven't yep. caught up with the third one. I've been a little busy lately. Um, well, has a third one come out, or did I just see the cover and th- thought it? You just saw the cover. It hasn't okay. come out yet. Whoops, sorry. <laughs> Get that one. <laughs> no, listen. Publishing is, is 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 this is totally normal. If you talk to somebody who works in publishing, they think it's like twenty twenty right now. Right, and, and you obviously also get advanced copies of things. Yep. Oh yeah. That is a little bit even more confusing because I'm like, is this book come out? Who wants to talk to me? No one. Okay, good. Yep. Um, yeah. You can email me anytime because usually I have already read it and I'm like, like oh, you're going to regret. Yeah, you're going to regret saying that now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so Alyssa Cole's series, I think, is also a great starting point for people because it is contemporary, um, has the royal tropes, but it's not like completely in you know courts or castles or something. It's right. like real life royals. I will also put on Reese Bowen's series. This isn't strictly romance. But I love that series. I do too. I started listening to it. Have you listened? No. 
Oh my God, the audiobook is so good. The audiobook is amazing. Her voice for the the narrator's voice for Belinda is so ridiculously good. Oh, okay. Yeah, Royal Spinus is the first one. And I think the whole series is called the Royal Spinus series. Yes. That's what I've been calling it. (laughs) Yes, I think you're right. Yeah, for those that don't know, this isn't more of a mystery series. There's twinges of romance throughout. But it's someone who is um, like thirtieth in line, thirty the, something in yeah, line, yeah, to the throne during the thirties and forties. And so there's a little bit of um, history that's thrown in. There's a little bit of uh, the real queen comes in and out, and there's real um, David, uh, who was the Prince of Wales, is in them, and they're just so light and charming, and yes. No, cozy. And the audiobook is narrated because I feel bad if I'm like, the narrator's great. And then I don't say who the narrator is. The narrator is Catherine Kelgren. The audio is delicious. It is so fun to listen to, especially because it's first person. But her vo- Kelgren's voices for the different characters, particularly Belinda, are just so fun. And then you have like every now and again, um, Georgie, the heroine, she gets called to tea with the queen, which A, you can't refuse. And B, she doesn't have any money. So she's like, all right, uh, which dress am I going to wear? I have two. She's seen both of them. Yeah. As an author, I really love that you could just throw in a tea with the queen to help move the story along. (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) You know, tea will work. We'll do that. Yeah, I don't really know what to do here. Oh, but if the queen, all right, get a good. The queen's going to call. Queen calls you in. You cannot say no. Right. That was one of my, one of the interesting parts about your book, the progression of the heroine learning to say, yeah, no, grandma, I'm not going to answer you right now. Yeah. That's, that's a big deal. Yeah. Because the queen is kind of scary in my country. I mean, I don't know if she's scary to other people. She's scary to me, and I write her. <laughs> oh, I have a documentary to recommend to you. Oh, okay. Because I know you you seem to really dig the sort of behind the scenes, what what is happening to keep this running, yeah. this show running. Okay. There is a documentary. I don't know if it's available streaming, but I have taped it off of um, PBS. It's called Windsor Castle, A Royal Year. Okay. And it's all about the behind the scenes of Windsor Castle in four seasons what it's like to run the castle, who runs the castle, what the different departments are and what they do when the queen is or isn't in residence. And you meet like the guy who mows the lawn and you meet all of the the staff who plan state dinners. There's a scene where they're plotting a state dinner and they have these massive leather folders that sort of open and it's the table. It's a, it's a mock-up of the table and they decide which heads of state will be where and they're putting these people and they have this special leather folder just for the table setting. My favorite guy is the guy who sets the clocks in Windsor Castle. And there are so many when the time changes forward or back in fall or spring. He's running around the castle for like three straight days trying to get all the clocks to be set to the right time. And there's a scene in the documentary where he's in some part of the castle with a camera crew. And he looks at the camera. He goes, "We're, we're lost. I have no idea where we are right now. Oh, my goodness. Like, I want a romance about him. (laughs) Oh, that makes me... Yeah, that, I would definitely be interested in that. I've been on a kick lately of reading um, behind-the-scenes White House books. And oh, yeah, I saw that on your site. Yeah, and, and I don't really know what pulled me in, but I really love um, that kind of thing, too. I mean, it's probably not quite as grand as Windsor Castle, but, you know, there's these 
ushers and then there's the head this at the White House and there's the yeah. head this, they stay there throughout every presidency. I mean, they'll be there for like 30 years. I and, know. Yeah, this one book I read, it was like, this president had 30 televisions set up in this room and then the next president came in and had them all taken down and and uh, I, don't, I don't know why I like all that stuff so much, but... Uh, <laughs> I am always fascinated by the behind the scenes of how that how an institution and how an, a building like that is is cared for and managed and run. Right. And I think that's partially because when I was working in different jobs, I was almost always in some sort of organizational administrative job. So that was my job. I kept something running mm-hmm. either by managing it or scheduling it or putting it on a calendar or answering the phone or all of the above. So I'm fascinated by the people who do the behind the scenes invisible labor to make all of that, you know, all of that happen. Yeah. And I'm thinking like that, that clock guy at Windsor probably needs to take your course and set up Google alerts. <laughs> about like Time change is coming. Maybe do two o'clocks today, 10 clocks tomorrow. Like Pat, your future self will thank you. I, yeah, you know what? I'm totally down with that. That sounds great. Well, I do love though, that um, there is a Royal timekeeper. Like that's a job. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? No, I, I love that. Now, now I, but now I can't get the thought out of my head. So Tessa Dare's last book had the heroine was a, wasn't she, didn't she have something to do with t- clocks or watches? Or yeah. She mm-hmm. fixed it. So now I want Tessa Dare to have like a, oh, this is, again, this is the things that come out of my mouth, Sarah. Now she could yep. write a cozy mystery with the Windsor <laughs> guy. <laughs> Poor Tessa's really annoyed and she does not know why. No. <laughs> Like, why do you guys keep talking about me? Because you know stuff about clocks. I know you do, Tessa. You research stuff that about clocks. That would be clocks. amazing. And then it could be like the Windsor guy who's doing the clocks and he meets up with the Royal Spinus and they're all behind the scenes solving crimes and making out. Okay. I have another addition for your future oh, okay. booking. Okay. So I was trying to find the name of the timekeeper. And in 2013, Buckingham Palace announced that they were seeking a royal timekeeper or a, a, technically it's the Royal Horological Conservator. But they go to Buckingham, Windsor, Holyrood House, Balmoral and, San, Balmoral and Sandringham to make sure all the monarchs clocks are wound and set starting at $50,000 a year. I would do that. Right. For 50 grand. They, they need someone who is experienced with working uh, working with hand and machine tools and able to strip and clean mechanisms and make new parts. So if a clock breaks, I'm screwed. Yeah. But that, and, and it's great because I don't even know what time it is. So I'd be like, yeah, that seems right. Right. Uh, check that's great. <laughs> yeah. You, but what you would do is you end up with an app, right? You wind up with an app that would coordinate all of the clocks into your phone. And then you could just set them manually and go back to bed. <laughs> And that brings us to the end of the episode. Thank you to Lindsay Emery for hanging out with me. Thank you to Orville for sticking his head in the sound box. If you would like to find Lindsay at her site, it is lindsayemery.com, L-A-N-D-S-A-Y, Emery, E-M-O-R-Y.com. And her podcast, Women With Books, both of those things are awesome, available wherever you get your fine podcasts. I will have links to both her site and the podcast site as well. And if you would like to get in touch, it would be so cool if you did. I'm curious what you think. Are you into royals? Do you follow royalty or do you stick moanly, moanly, stick moanly, 
Do you stick mainly? That would be a good thing. Do you stick mainly to royalty romances? Do you have a thing for royalty in any form? Tell me about it. You can email me at sbjpodcast at gmail.com or you can call and leave a message at 201-371-3272. That's 1-201-371-3272. Don't forget to leave your name and tell us where you're calling from so we can add you to a future episode I'm certain that all of you have much to say about royalty. It is one of the mainstays of the genre, after all. The podcast and the podcast transcript this week are being brought to you by Ensnared by J.S. Scott, available now for Motley Romance. Love is Worth a Fortune in this sizzling novel of accidental romance and riches by New York Times bestselling author J.S. Scott. Wildlife conservationist Jade Sinclair isn't used to having money, but when she and her siblings learned they were part of the mega-rich Sinclair dynasty, they became billionaires overnight. Jade doesn't even know how to act rich, especially when she's dealing with an arrogant, privileged, unreasonably sexy snob like Eli Stone. Unlike Jade, Eli grew up rich, and he just keeps getting richer. Eli is always looking for an adventure, And he's found an inviting one in Jade, as resistant as she is irresistible. His less-than-honorable plan? Get her alone in the wilderness by buying out all the spots in her survival class. Calling a truce, they strike a bargain. Jade will teach Eli basic survival skills, and he'll teach her how to navigate the world of the wealthy elite. Jade only has one condition. She will not let herself be seduced by him. But some things are easier said than done. Readers who love sexy billionaires, and who doesn't love a sexy billionaire, and fiercely independent women will love Ensnared, the first in J.S. Scott's steamy new Accidental Billionaire series. It is available now from Montlake Romance. We have a podcast Patreon. You can have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches. Monthly pledges start at $1, and you'll be part of the community that helps me develop questions, suggest guests, and keeps the show going and making sure that each one is accessible to everyone who wants to read or listen. If you're part of the Patreon, thank you very, very much. The music you're listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater. This is the Pete Bog Fairies. This is their album, Black House. This track is called, Is This Your Son? You can find this album at Amazon or iTunes, wherever you get your funky music. And you can find the, the Pete Bog Fairies, excuse me, find the Pete Bog Fairies on their website at peatbogfairies.com. Coming up on Smart Pitches this week, we have many cool things and I'm very excited to tell you about them. First, on Saturday, tomorrow, if you're listening on Friday, we have Hide Your Wallet Part Du, also known as Word on the Street, which is a collection of information and links and posts about books that we've learned about that we want to tell you about because that's what we do here. We also have Romance Wanderlust, reviews of new and some creepy books, a post about stuff we like, including the announcement of the 2018 gift guide posts, and if you have ideas, email them to me, and a new edition of Unlocking Library Coolness, which is one of my favorite new columns to write. But most importantly, we have a very cool giveaway next week. We have two fitness watches from Withings, courtesy of the inimitable Susie Felber. We are giving away a Withings Steel HR and a Withings Steel watch. Both are classic watches with, you know, watch faces and a little dial that tells you your pedometer. The HR also has a heart rate. I have a steel without the heart rate. And I love it because it is super simple and elegant and easy to read. And I know both what time it is, which is something I never know, and how close I am to my step goal for the day. So I hope you will stop by the site and try to enter to win because I'm really excited to get to have a giveaway of Withings watches because they're super rad. I will have links to all of the things that we mentioned and the books that we talked about 
But until then, on behalf of Lindsay and Orville, who has finally decided to leave the sound box alone, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll see you here next week.